want to make one uh, quick announcement. First of all, I'm going to announce, because someone's going to call me on this later, but I'm going to announce that my name is Pastor Jim, and if I've never met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service today. And then the announcement I was actually thinking of as I walked up here was uh, sign-ups are available for the men's retreat, and uh, that is going to be the 19th and 20th of February, again, Friday night to Saturday night. Um, up at Camp Casey Conference Center. Um, we even used the same exact sign-up as last year, just changed the dates, because that's how we do things. So um, that's how the guys do things. You're right. The women are much better. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right, men? All right. Um, <laughs> but here's the deal, men. Today, you need to sign up and come. Okay, so decide right now. Good. And so you're coming, and um, so go sign up. Uh, please put your name down. If you're not sure whether or not you're going to spend the night, it's okay to put question mark there. Uh, we, we need to, we'll need to know that by the end of the month. Um, but for now, we just want to know who's coming for food. So please sign up for that. It's a great time. Uh, we have churches from the region. Other free churches come and hang out with us, and uh, it's going to be great. If you have questions about that, please see me, but... Uh, please please sign up uh, today, uh, but definitely by the end of the month, so we have a good number. All right. Good. We are continuing our series talking about evil kings in the Bible. These are people that cause us to question, why does this person get to be in the Bible? We saw that last week with King Ahab, who was described as being more wicked than any other king before him. And we learned about the justice of God. This morning, we are going to look at a king who was pretty good at being king. He was, he did a lot of things in his time. But the problem is you've probably never even heard of him. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, what we know from the Bible about him, and what we know just from history and archaeology about this king, a man named Omri. I do want to make a quick note that I was thankful for my Old Testament professor who sent me the class notes on this so I could get all the details right. So if I get something wrong, we get to blame Dr. Younger. And... Um, but I wanted to give him the credit as he taught this to me, and I now pass it on uh, to you. The first thing you want to know about Omri is that he was a successful warrior. We know from a, an artifact called the Mesa inscription that he conquered the neighboring country of Moab. And Isaac, go ahead, I've got a picture it's the thing that looks like a rock. There you go. That is where the Mesa inscription is. You can see that at the Louvre in Paris, and it survives today, and it tells the story of how um, Omri conquered the neighboring country of Moab. You can go to the next blank slide for a little bit, Isaac. So we know from history that he was good at being a general of his troops. He was a good warrior who defeated his enemies. I mean, that's what kings do. They go to war and they win. And Omri did that. Secondly, 
Omri was recognized as an important and powerful king by other nations. So we have inscriptions where the Assyrians, another country at this time, refer to Israel as the house of Omri, meaning his people. In the records of Shalmaneser III, who was a king of Assyria, they refer to Jehu, who was not a biological descendant of Omri. He was, in fact, the man who killed Omri's last descendant. They still refer to him as the son or descendant of Omri. And you can see this. Go to the next slide there, Isaac. You can see this on the black obelisk. Nope. Oh, there should have been one in there. Sorry. I dropped that slide. But this is called the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser III, which is at the British Museum. So if you're ever in Britain, go look for the Black Obelisk of Shalmaneser III. I spelled it in your discussion questions, so you can look it up there. And we also have records of two other Assyrian kings. You'll love these names. Tiglath-Pileser III. That's a good baby name for those of you who are thinking about that. Um, and Sargon II referred to the land of Israel as Omri land. So he was recognized by other world leaders as a very important leader. This would be like us calling someone, another country calling America Obama land, or depending on your political leanings, Reagan land. You can pick which one you like better. Free country and a free church. Um, take the membership class and you can find out what really it means to be a free church. Anyway, quick plug for that. So again, he was recognized by other leaders as being a very important king in Israel, so much so that they used his name in naming Israel and referring to Israel in historical records. Number three, Omri was a great strategist. One of the things we know about Omri is that he moved the capital to Samaria. Now, the thing you need to know about Samaria is it's located on a hill. And if you're going to defend a city, it'd be better to have it on a hill than in a valley. You have the upper hand, and he was able to fortify it and you can still see some of those uh, in, that part of the in that part of the world today. He made a plan to move the capital city to a better place, and he did. And he was able to do it. Number four, Omri was an effective leader. So when he, at the time he came to power... The nation of Israel, and this time, at this time, we're referring to it as the ten northern tribes. We're going to talk about that story where they split later. But the nation of Israel was divided into two parts. Half the people followed a guy named Tibni, another great baby name if you're looking for one. And the other half followed Omri. So what does Omri do? He leads his group of people, defeats Tibni's people, and unites the northern kingdom under his one rule. He was an effective leader. He united the ten tribes that were Israel and ended the division between them. 
Number five, Omri was a good politician. Omri was good at understanding how nations worked. So what did he do? His son was of marrying age, and so he goes to the king of Sidon. And he says to the king of Sidon, Let my son marry your daughter. Now, you might be wondering what that has to do with politics. Well, if you wanted to have good relations between countries, if you wanted to create a treaty with them, the royal family would marry members of their royal family. Because you don't want this other king, he's not going to come and attack his grandson or daughter. And so a way to create treaties in the ancient world was to have different members of royal families marry each other. Now, you might not be impressed that Omri's son married the princess of Sidon, but you should be. Sidon was a port town. It was very prosperous economically and had a port to increase trade to the region. It was an important town. And so he was a thinker. He said, I, sh- I want to have a good relationship with our country and that city, and so we're going to have our kids get married so that we always have good trade and we can benefit from the prosperity of that city. Smart guy. Knows what he's doing. And then lastly about Omri, number six, Omri's descendants reigned as kings after him. Omri wasn't one of these one-hit wonder kings. His son ruled after him, and his two grandsons ruled after that. So not only was Omri king, but he put in place structures and relationships so that the reign would continue through his son's and grandsons. So by all accounts, Omri was a very successful and effective king. So the question now becomes, why have you never heard of him? If he did all of this, if he was so affected... I'm guessing 99% of you have never heard of him. Why? I mean, he's, he's in the Bible. We all read the Bible. Why don't we know this guy who did so much? Well, let's look at what the Bible has to say about Omri. If you're using one of the chair Bibles... It's going to be located on page 298 where we're going to start. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 16, starting in verse 21. So follow along as I read. And remember everything I told you about Omri. Okay, I know you guys memorize everything I say, so keep that in your memory banks. Start at verse 21. Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath, another great baby name, to make him king, and half followed Omri, 
But the people who followed Omri overcame the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ganath. So Tibni died, and Omri became king. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for 12 years. Six years he reigned in Terza. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver, and he fortified the hill and called the name of the city that he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. Everything I told you about the events of his life gets summarized in four verses. That's it. That is a summary that the Bible records of everything I told you. Why? Why, if this guy was so good at his job and did so many things as king, why are there only four verses describing his reign as king? Because if we look at the facts, he was good at his job. He was an effective king. Why not give him more space if he did so much? For a man who did so much and accomplished so much, the Bible gives him so few verses compared to other kings. Why? The answer is in the next four verses. Start verse 25. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri that he did and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his place. So go back to verses 25 and 26. Take us back, Isaac. Thanks. The reason that all of his accomplishments and all of the things he did as king are not recorded but are very quickly summarized is in these two verses. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. This is what God thinks about the reign of Omri. That where we might see success and effectiveness, God saw wickedness. While we might see a king who did so much for his country, God saw an idolater. God saw someone who led his people 
away from the true God and led them towards idols. Omri may have been good at being king, but he did not excel in what really mattered. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 16, verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Omri forgot what was most important. Omri was committed to power, to money, to status, instead of being committed to God. Omri is a negative example and a warning to us of how we live our lives and the choices that we make about what to do and what not to do. Omri did a lot of things, but he did the wrong things and neglected what God had called him to do. So the question that arises from Omri is this. How are you spending your time and your resources? It's a question of priorities. Here here is something I am convinced of. I am convinced that one of the hardest questions we as a church today are facing is what are our priorities? Both as a church and individually. We only have so much time, we only have so much money, we only have so much resources, and so the question becomes, what are we going to do with the time and the resources that we have? And Omri is helpful to us because he shows us what not to do. (laughs) The quick summary of his reign shows us that he wasted his life and influence. And it was only worth a couple verses. Everything that he did gets boiled down to not much because he didn't do the best things. So as we think about Omri, we need to think about setting godly priorities in our lives. Will we do the things that God wants us to do? I see two aspects of this that Jesus spoke about. The first is this. Worry about God's kingdom, not your own. Omri was very successful in building his kingdom, his royal dynasty, but cared nothing for the kingdom of God. So we read in Luke 
chapter 12, verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. When we make decisions, when we pick to do some things and not others, are we thinking first and foremost about God's kingdom? Are we thinking about what God would want us to do when we make those decisions? I think it's something we so easily skip over when we make decisions, that we're so fast to think about what we need to do because we feel so rushed and crunched in time that we don't think about what would God want me to do. What about this would spread God's kingdom, not just my own? Do you value God's kingdom in your life? Are you thinking about spreading of God's kingdom through what you do? If I were to look, and I know these examples are a little dated, but go with me on this one. If I were to look at your checkbook and your day planner, because I think when we look at those, when we look at how we spend our time and our money, we see what we value. If I were to look at yours and you were to look at mine, would we see a value for God's kingdom and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If not, we need to think about our priorities and do we have godly priorities? Again, as I've I've said before, how we spend our time and how we spend our energy, I think is one of the most important things and one of the hardest things to do. I think time is the most expensive resource we have, even more than money. I think it's easier to ask someone for money than it is for time. What are you doing with your time? Here's a great question. Are you serving others with your time, or is everything you do for you and your family? Where are you doing something where you don't directly benefit? Where are you doing things that actually benefit someone else instead of you? These are the questions we need to ask because there's only so much time. And are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we having His priorities? second aspect of godly priorities is is related, but I think it's slightly different. And that's this. Do things that have eternal value. Omri chose to spend his time on what wouldn't and didn't last. So I talk about, you can see the, some of these fortifications that he did in Samaria today. Uh, but you'll have to see them as an archaeological dig because they're in ruins. <laughs> and while they may have been state-of-the-art walls back when he was there, they look like, to the untrained eye, a bunch of pile of rocks <laughs> that aren't protecting anybody. So for as great as his fortification of Samaria was, it's pretty much nothing now. 
In his dynasty, I said that, that his son and his two grandsons reigned after him. Well, after his death, his sons and grandsons reigned for a total, between the three of them, about 36 years. That's not a long time. So all the political maneuvering that he did didn't last. And I hope that you caught the name of his son, Ahab. So good job, Dad, on that one. Um, You raised the most wicked king in Israel that we saw last week. He did not do what has eternal value. So how do we apply that to our lives? Again, it's a question of choices. What are we going to choose to do? We can only choose to do so many things. We have so much time that we can do. So let's do things that last. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first call is to look past the things that we have in this world. That the first danger is to only work for the latest new toy. And to get caught in that trap of materialism, which will not last. Everything you own will break one day. Now some of you can fix it and then it lasts a few more days, but eventually... Even when you fix it, it's still going to break. But even on top of that, past the materialism, past the stuff, is are we doing what God commanded us to do? Because I think those are the things that have eternal value. And I think a great place to start is to start with the commands of God. Let me give you a couple just by example, of, of when I'm thinking, what has eternal value? Here's a couple examples. I'm sure you can think of others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make disciples of all nations. Serve one another in love. All of these have eternal value. All of these last into eternity. Sharing the gospel with someone, you think about how that has eternal value because if you share the gospel with someone and they believe they have the hope of eternal life and so they literally have eternal value because they will be with you in heaven forever. I think of the, the ministries that we have, I think especially of, of our children's ministries, that you are introducing Jesus to children 
I can think of few things that have more eternal value than that. But the question is, are we going to do those things? Are we going to do those things that will last? Because most of the time, they're harder, and we don't get a direct benefit from it. Because most of the time, the things that have eternal value are us serving someone else. See, Omni was really selfish. He just worked for himself so that he could amass more power and wealth and be king for longer. We are called to serve others. Now, underlying this understanding of setting the right priorities is this idea that we are called to live for God's glory. Omri only cared about Omri's glory and expanding his empire and expanding his reign and power and money. He was only concerned about the fame and glory of Omri. But another king has come who showed us what it was like to live for God's glory. And that king is our King Jesus. Listen to an excerpt from Jesus' prayer in John 17. This is John 17, verse 4. This is a prayer to, to God the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus is summarizing his life, which would include his eventual death and resurrection, which are just after John 17. And how does he summarize it? He says, when I was here and living the way that you call me to live, I brought glory to you. See, this is one of the reasons that Jesus lived on earth before he died on the cross. It was to demonstrate for us how to live. And one aspect of that was to demonstrate how to live for the glory of God. And if Jesus did that, how much more do we need to? So we remember a verse like 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Jesus is showing us a better way. When you read the compassion that he has for people, when you read how he boldly shared about himself to the people and the preaching and teaching that he did, he was demonstrating for us the anti-Omri life. A life that brought glory to God and a kingdom that will last forever. Omri lived for himself and his kingdom only lasted 36 years after his death. 
Jesus lived to the glory of God and for the good of others, and his kingdom will not end. And he has called us to live for the glory of God, to live for the good of others, and to do what has not 36 years of worth, but what has eternal value. This calls into question ideas of success and priorities. Would our definition of success be the same as the Bible's definition of success? Does the Bible challenge the priorities that we have and the choices that we make? Do we, do you this week need to really look at your priorities and change how you're living? Because we need to be people, unlike Omri, we need to have those godly priorities. We need to be working not just for our own good, but for the good of others and the glory of God. We need to love what God loves and to value what God values. And when we do that, as we live out our faith in this way, we don't receive the condemnation that Omri received. I mean, we see what God's evaluation was of Omri. But when we live out our faith in Christ, when we live as disciples of Jesus, we will not receive this condemnation, this judgment. But we, we will receive is well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's learn from Omri. Let's seek God's kingdom and serve others and thereby set our priorities on what God wants. And let's be found faithful when we do see God face to face. Let's pray. Father God, empower us by your spirit to to live with what you view as success. To set priorities not just on what we want, but on what you want. Help us to live lives not just serving ourselves, but serving others. And not just living for our own glory and fame, but living so that your name will be spread across the world. Not that we would be famous, but that you would be famous. God, protect us from temptation of selfishness and self-glory. And empower us to follow Jesus, 
who lived for your glory and for the good of others. We pray this in his name. Amen.